This is the Cork Today replay on C103. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you as we welcome you along to Tuesday's edition of the programme. John Paul standing by taking your calls at 1850 and he tells me he's already getting calls and I've seen it online as well. There's lots of speculation in Glengariff as to who is visiting the uh, area. There was a helicopter seen landing in the area yesterday evening and whoever uh, has come to the area is staying in the Eccles Hotel. Management are not permitted to say who the, are the VIP guests are we putting VIP into this but they did tweet the eagle has landed uh, some are saying that it could be Prince Harry others are saying it's Elton John somebody said it's Bono Bono would, would create that kind of mystique around him would it uh, and people were even saying yesterday it's Boris Johnson and God knows it definitely wasn't Boris Johnson even though looking at him last night on the TV I'd say he'd prefer to be anywhere except outside 10 Downing Street but he definitely wasn't arriving in Glengariff yesterday if anybody can fill us in on what all this speculation is about and who who is the mysterious eagle that has landed we'd love to hear uh, we love a good bit of gossip here 1853 and let me also kick off with water outages. There's repairs to a burst water main and it may cause supply disruption to Western, Western View, Glenwood Court, Sunset Court, Carrigmore, St Philomena's Place, Beechwood Court, Dan Desmond Terrace and all the surrounding areas. Where are those? They're all in Carrigaline and Irish Water and Cork County Council working on sorting the problem. They reckon by about two o'clock today they should have it all sorted out. But if you're just living in those areas and you're wondering what's going wrong with your tap, that's what it is. It is repairs to a burst water main. Now on the programme uh, this morning we will be getting the very latest from the Douglas Court uh, Shopping uh, Centre and now of course the news is starting to come out that it's major structural failure as a result of the fire at the weekend. Uh, the heat was so extreme according to the Cork City Fire Brigade during that weekend fire that the steel support beams in the area most affected has failed. That will tell you the intensity of the heat Certainly not the news that traders wanted to hear at the shopping centre. There's no hope now of a speedy return to uh, business with the announcement that demolition work will first have to take place. Management said the intense nature of the fire had compromised the structural integrity of a portion of the building, the section in level one of the multi-storey car park where the fire broke out and it will now have to be demolished as I say not what the traders uh, were hoping to hear and of course for people who still have cars that weren't damaged that were in different areas of the multi-storey car park the work on getting the cars back to the removed from the car park and back to their owners that is, is, is expected to get underway tomorrow now we will have the very latest on that we will be hearing from the centre's manager on the programme uh, today who are in fairness doing their very best to keep everybody uh, up to date. John O'Donovan has been on to say why did nobody grab a fire extinguisher and try to put the fire out with all the health and safety now in companies. Surely somebody walking past would have grabbed a fire extinguisher and put out the fire and rang the fire brigade at the same time. Serious questions need to be asked given the fact that the centre is closed and businesses now are going to be out of uh, pocket. 
Yeah, I imagine in the weeks and uh, I hate to say months ahead, but certainly the weeks ahead, there will be a lot of questions asked. I think there's still a kind of an element of shock about it all at the moment and the businesses business people will struggle to come to terms with what's going to happen to the future of their business. Obviously employees, are they at risk now of being let go certainly for a period of time. I mean the hope would be that whatever structural work, demolition work and then the rebuilding that they get in there and it gets underway as quickly as possible and I don't know if there can be some kind of a solution whereby work can go on and the centre can still reopen. I don't know what the what the talk at the moment is. I mean we have to leave that to the engineers, we have to leave that uh, to the experts but certainly yes there will be a lot of questions asked as to how the fire took hold and spread so quickly. I mean I know already people are talking about the sprinkler system and should there be a sprinkler system in all car parks. I mean we heard yesterday from one of our listeners in the know uh, who said that uh, engineers have come out and said that there was this belief that you couldn't have sprinkler systems in a car park because of the nature of water on a fire in a car but it's been proven and the experts are out saying it's been proven that no it is better to have the sprinkler systems in there it will put the fire out than what was it 95% of cars could be saved if that was done don't know if that's is going to turn out what would have been the case in the Douglas uh, village shopping centre but there will be a lot of inquiries in the weeks uh, ahead but uh, John reckons cannot understand how people didn't just grab fire extinguishers surely there was fire extinguishers around and I'm just trying to think whenever I'm in it'll be something we'll all be looking out for now if you're in a multi-storey car park or you regularly use a multi-storey car park have you seen fire extinguishers are they easily accessible for people who might want to try and help out and grab you know, grab a, a fire extinguisher and see what they can do to help. So we'll talk about that on the programme. We're also going to talk with the Beef Plan movement on the programme. Now, we'd initially asked them to join us this morning on the programme because members of the Beef Plan movement met with Minister Michael Creed at the weekend. I'm led to believe that it was mainly Cork-based farmers because the meeting was held in Cork. So I'm interested to hear how that particular meeting went. But then also, of course, the news that we're hearing overnight that beef farmers who have been involved in the protests held a meeting last night to select representatives to voice their concern at future talks. They're calling themselves the Independent Farmers of Ireland and the group invited three delegates from groups protesting a processing plants right around the country to attend a meeting and they've now elected three national representatives who will be able to sit at the negotiating table with the full backing of all of the protesters and then obviously facilitate any proposal that uh, is reached. So that certainly looks like a little bit of good news. And uh, of course we heard yesterday um, that um, Minister Michael Creed was urging the farmers picketing the meat plants to engage with the farming organisations and to try and get somebody to speak with one voice because I think that is very much what we need. And of course yesterday a Chinese delegation on that trade mission failed to gain access to one of the meat plants in County Roscommon and there was a blockade there by the protesting farmers. But that was the first meat plant that the Chinese delegation didn't get into. They're here. They've been here since last Friday. They're carrying out inspections at various factories and of course the aim of this is to try to increase exports to the Chinese market and concerns were raised that the sector could miss out on a multi-million euro opportunity due to the protests and 
you know, this is coming at a really bad time with Brexit because we know what Brexit is doing and the threats to the export market in the UK from a Brexit. Now, I don't know the fact that they didn't get into the plant in Roscommon. Does that mean that that plant is off the Chinese agenda? And if they are planning on increasing exports to the Chinese market, does it mean that they won't take exports from, from that particular plant? I don't know. You know, some people were saying last night a farmer's shooting themselves in the foot, particularly by not leaving the Chinese uh, in. And there were pickets outside about a dozen plants uh, yesterday. There was some scuffles yesterday. One man was arrested at uh, the, the Liffey Meats plant in Ballyjane's Duff and there was another one uh, injured and a listener has been on by text saying, Patricia, I just want to say that I thought it was so sad seeing some farmers last night on the TV in tears uh, because they love doing what they do and they care about their animals better than themselves in some cases. And after all that, all of their hard work and all of the time they put in to raising these animals, the factory, according to this listener, treat them are like bullying of them almost, giving them nothing uh, but a break-even price. And if they get a brief break-even price, that's at the very best. All those years of struggling and now they have to protest to get more than three euro an hour. The only word for this is sick, to say the very least. Every person in charge, we're always told that if somebody is getting bullied, you're meant to speak up for that person. You're meant to tell somebody you trust. Who can the farmers tell? I feel that the beef industry is very corrupt, particularly when it comes to farmers and what farmers are getting from it, says a listener. And I did see on the news yesterday evening one elderly farmer who was... God, it was it was heartbreaking to watch an elderly man crying, and he was you know he was his voice he was finding it hard even to formulate his words. He was so upset, you know, saying you know it's come to this. And I think I'm open to correction, but I think that was filmed outside the Bally James Duff plant where it, it there was scuffles and there was pushing and shoving, and the guardy were there, and you know quite frightening for an elderly person you know who's probably afraid of, if I get pushed over I'll fall and I'll break a hip or something and then he had to watch another farmer being taken away and put in the back of a car the van and to see another protester being taken away in the back of an ambulance so he was quite upset and then it it reminded me of remember Dennis who joined us on the programme who was a farmer from Formoy who was crying on this programme and we got a huge reaction people were saying how how emotional they felt listening to Dennis opening up talking to us and there you know and I did say at the time that there were many there were many Dennises around the country and then when I saw that elderly man last night crying I straight away talk, thought of our Dennis and thinking you know that's exactly how Dennis was when he spoke with us it is very difficult for for men elderly men who have spent all their lives farming and in the beef sector and it's probably a generational thing they're probably on a family farm that was passed down from their father to them and from their grandfather down to their father you know and many generations lived and worked on that farm and they are finding it they really are struggling and finding it uh, very difficult so yeah I, I agree with you it, it is so sad and so difficult so so difficult to watch so we'll get the very latest on that and uh, we welcome uh, your thoughts and comments uh, some texts already in any update on the farmers protests at the APB plant in Bandon our staff after being laid off I don't know I'll get John Paul to check I haven't heard if staff have been laid off. I know the protesters they stopped protesting yesterday because the Chinese were in town and the Chinese were coming to inspect the plant in Bandon and the last we heard yesterday were that the protesters were expected back 
at the picket line this morning but we will get that confirmed and uh, uh, we'll find out more about it. Pat says Patricia has Michael Creed gone very quiet on the beef protest letting the farmers suffer. No I, I, I can't I don't think he's gone very quiet. He certainly met with the Beef Plan movement on Saturday and then he was um, again making that call, urging the farmers to get together and speak with one voice, which I think was listened to. And hence the reason that we had all of the beef farmers, three representatives from each getting together and holding those talks yesterday and forming this new group, calling themselves the Independent Farmers of uh, Ireland. 1850 We're hearing concerns from some of the residents who are living in the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom. These are asylum seekers who a number of weeks ago we discussed on the programme that the Riverside Park Hotel was becoming an emergency centre for asylum seekers. Uh, the, it's not, we're told it's not a direct provision centre. It's emergency accommodation, but it acts like a direct provision centre if you know what I mean but if you want to get pedantic it's emergency accommodation for asylum seekers so the asylum seekers moved in I don't have the exact figures on how many people moved in there but they've moved in and it seems they're not happy with the services they're getting there there's problems with food there's problems as far as I know accessing doctors a GP service that's possibly got to do with the fact that all of the GP practices in McCroom are probably already full. It's not just asylum seekers who are having problems accessing GP services. Uh, You talk to anyone who moves into a new area, particularly a built up area, and they go to the doctor to register with the doctor to be told, sorry, we're not taking on any new patients. So it's probably a a problem for the asylum seekers in McCroom as well. And they also, I believe, are having problems in that their children are going to local schools. I think it's about two miles away way the, lo- the nearest local school and that they don't have, there isn't public transport, there isn't a, a bus service or a dart outside the door and there isn't school transport service available to them. Uh, so we'll be speaking with a group who are trying to get better conditions and better services for the asylum seekers at the Riverside Park Hotel in uh, McCroom. Uh, just on the on just uh, as I mentioned the school buses I had a text in this morning on school uh, buses. If I can find it now, I have so many pieces of paper in front of me. It's all, I mean, it was an email, my apologies. It was an email in to do because we have been discussing the problems with school buses and the concessionary tickets and people, the Balanina and Eskeen families in particular, 18 children there not getting a school bus ticket and then we've been talking about it because it's been in other areas uh, as well and people have been saying that they've noticed that the school buses you know they'll see a school bus pass them in the evening you know in the afternoon and that the buses are half full how are they half full if we're hearing about students we're told you know no room at the inn there's no seat on the bus for you because the bus is full well this might be the explanation this has come in um, from uh, Teresa to say my query for the school bus service is that most schools now offer study and homework clubs after school finishes and many students take up these services. However, school bus services will leave the school between half past three and four p.m. every day and most buses are empty or nearly empty on the return route. Why can't the bus services have an evening collection for after homework study sessions? Uh, They finish usually between half five and six. Could the buses not, could they not run an evening session? Parents 
still have to organise the students to be collected at the at this time and yet they still pay the €350 Euro, even though their children might only be getting a one-way ticket because they only use the bus to go to school in the morning and then the parents collect them in the uh, evening time. And I suppose collecting them after half, half five, six o'clock for the working parents it would suit them because their, their day is possibly uh, finished. But it does explain why the school buses in the afternoon session can appear to look half full. It could be for that very reason that some of the students are choosing to stay on and go to after school study, you know, homework clubs. And that could be the reason for it. I don't know if many parents find that awkward then having to collect their children. Or would you agree with Teresa that there should be two bus services, school bus services, the one that leaves at the normal time for the children that want to go straight home and then have a later run again between half five and six. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Social Justice Ireland will speak to us. They say government spending are spending too much on subsidies that potentially damage the environment. They will explain more. We hear from a new theatre company that has its roots in the amateur drama scene. And then Joe Heffernan will join us after half past 12. And we've been discussing anxiety with Joe over the last number of weeks. And I'm blown away by the reaction we got uh, judging the huge number of people who are suffering from anxiety or have a family member and know of somebody suffering with anxiety. So it was good to see people trying to get as much information as they could and trying to get help for either their child, their loved one or their friend. So today, Joe's going to talk about mindfulness and mindfulness as an aid to help with anxiety. That's all coming up on the programme. Jim in Balancholic uh, says of Teresa's suggestion that the school buses does a run in the evening time to facilitate those that stay on in school afterwards, you know, for after school study or homework clubs, etc. Jim in Balancholic said if it is suggested that the bus is to make a double run, that would simply double the price. They are never going to go for that. Well, someone else says, Patricia, I've got a ne- an idea for all the pupils that are having difficulty accessing the school bus and needing to get to and from school. Let mum and dad buy them a bike like I did. Stop getting the public to babysit your kids. The key word here is your kids. 1850 And on the suggestion from John O'Donovan. Remember John O'Donovan contacted us, had a chat with John Paul earlier and John was suggesting that he can't understand why people that were in the Douglas Village or the Douglas Shopping Centre car park on Saturday, why someone didn't grab a fire extinguisher and at least try to put out the first car that went on fire. Cannot understand uh, why nobody did that. I'm assuming if John was there, he'd have grabbed a fire extinguisher and ran in like Superman and tried to do his best to put out the fire. Mary says, you'd want to be off your head to go and use a fire extinguisher on a burning car as the car might explode. You could end up making the situation worse. And then someone else said by text, Hi Patricia, could, would you even want to imagine the ear bashing you'd get from John O'Donovan if some person got injured or God forbid became fumigated while trying to put out the fire by say grabbing a fire extinguisher like he suggested. Nobody was injured. Nobody died, folks. Well done to the management. Everything here was handled correctly in that 
people were protected. First and foremost, that was the right thing to do was evacuate, get everybody out of that building and let and nobody got uh, injured. Also, said this texter, that's why we pay insurance. Let the insurance gang sort it out. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls just very quickly because we're going to go to the beef plan movement next. A couple of people on about the farmers. Hi, Patricia. If that's all farmers are getting is three euro an hour, then it's simply slave labour. Labor. If, if that was in any other line of work, there'd be uproar and it would be sorted out with, within a day or two. And watching farmers getting upset on the picket line and how difficult it is to watch an to watch elderly men in particular cry. Madge says, Patricia, people died in the past for our land and for ownership of our farms. We have lost so much. Last Saturday, the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, met with some of the farmers who have been and continue to protest outside meat factories all over the country. To discuss how the meeting went, I'm joined by Helen O'Sullivan of the Beef Plan Movement. Good morning to you, Helen. Good morning, Tricia. How are you? I'm I'm very I'm very well. Um, okay, firstly, just to outline, how did this meeting come about, and who actually attended? Okay, Patricia. Well, firstly, can I just state that the the beef plan had to officially step away from the protest due to legal action being taken against the organisation. Okay. And as you know, we had a 12 day picket, but as part of the agreement to get to the table for the talks with Minister Creed, Cormac Healy of the Meat Industry of Ireland, and the other farm organisations, we had to suspend the protest because of that. But yes, we met with Mr. Creed last Saturday, myself and another beef plan rep, uh, Dermot O'Brien from Clarny, and five of the farmers that are on the picket line there in Bandon. And we met in his office in the Croom, and, you know, the anger was vented for nearly two hours in his office. Um, he could see straight off for himself how angry farmers are. And the age group ranged from their 20s up to in their mid-70s. So we had a good range of farmers there. Um like he, we asked him. I suppose the first thing was the price, the price increase. Now he mentioned how he that he can mention about price because of the whole competition authority. Um, you know, we asked him to intervene immediately because of uh, what's going on, and in case anything happens to anyone, this is very serious. I suppose the main topic was to, um, you know, to agree on all the farmers to allow the Chinese into the ABP in Bandon, and it's very important that they did go in because we welcome all new markets. And um, you know that anything to help us to get a better price for our beef. And they went in yesterday, didn't they? They did. They went in yesterday, and there was cattle let in, and they were, they were able to see the production line. Okay. So, which was a good thing. And um, like I say, we welcome all new businesses for for the country. And um, do so you I, do you feel Minister Michael Creed understood where you were coming from? Did you get that did. sense? I, I, yes. Well, I felt I felt it was a great thing for him to see the farmers, uh, the five farmers that went in. I think that was a great thing to happen because. He could see firsthand the anger and the frustration that's out of Patricia. Mm. And these are genuine, honest-to-God farmers. And all they're looking for here is a cost production plus a margin. They're not looking for anything over and above. You know, so I think it was good for him to actually see them there inside his office. And to, like, and I said to him then, I said, you see the anger here. I said, multiply that by a thousand out in the picket lines. And I, I, I asked him to intervene immediately because I said, if, if he doesn't, uh, someone will get badly injured or even worse. And we do not want that to happen, Patricia. You know, well, we um, saw, and I'm assuming you saw the TV coverage of the scuffles I did. outside the, the plant in Liffey, Liffey Meats in, in Bella James Stuff. And, and, and I'm assuming that's just because tensions are so high 
and people are angry and people are upset and yes. that's where things kick off and there's flare ups. People who probably have never been in trouble in their lives would never contemplate getting into trouble are suddenly finding themselves into a situation where they're in a standoff with mem- local, you know, local Gardaí. Absolutely, Tricia. I think, I think it was an absolute disgrace how farmers are being treated on the picket line. You saw for yourself what happened in Valley James, Dolphin County, Cavan. These are, honest to God, hard-working farmers. They're only out there trying to get um, a fair trade. They only want to make a, 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 a living out of what they're doing. And the way that they were pulled and pushed off the picket line and pushed into the back of a Garda van it's, it's unacceptable. They're being treated like criminals, Tricia. And they're far from that. It was difficult to watch that elderly farmer crying. Very yeah, it was. It was, it yeah. was really, really upsetting. upsetting. I mean, did like, did <laughs> um, did the minister ask the farmers that who were protesting, who were at that meeting on Saturday? Did he ask them to stop protesting? Well, I suppose he wa- he asked them to let the Chinese in. That was the main topic on the day. He didn't ask them to stop protesting as such, but like you know, we asked him to please intervene. He said he was was trying to get all the other agri uh, stakeholders involved and uh, to get them all back to the table for round table talks. Um, I think it's imperative that he does that immediately, even today is nearly too late. Do you know what I mean? Because every day is too long. And I, my biggest fear here is that someone is going to get badly injured or hurt. You see what the, the anger and the tension that's out there. But I, I understand completely where the farmers are coming from. Can I just give you a quick example of the difference on the price of cattle from now and this time last year? Between Please them? do, yeah. And this, this will explain maybe to a lot of people that are not very okay with farming what's going on out there. So farmers are getting €200 Euros less per animal this this time, this year, than, than last year. So what the factories are giving at the moment, Patricia, is €3.45 Euros per, k, per kg, per kilo. Mm. So just to give you an example, um, the Battery abandoned now, for example, kills 350 cattle per day. So if they kill 153 cattle per day, multiply that by the 200 euros that they're saving. That comes to 70,000 per day that they're making saving of in the factory. That they're making over what they were making this time last year. Yeah, so th- that's what they're. That's the profit they're making now when the cattle are back to 345 a kg, right? Yeah. The factory slaughters cattle four days a week. So if you multiply that by four, that comes to 280,000 per week, Patricia of what the factories are saving than this time last year. That's a lot so we'll just say if the price continues on yeah. per kg at 345 for the next 12 months, that factory will be ha- will have a saving of over 14.5 million. Over what they raised, over what they earned their previous year. This time last and year. And that's, three, and, and, that's and 345 kg. We had a farmer last week contact us to say, you know, thought he was getting 345 but then with the grading that went down to 317 yes, so the farmers yes. aren't even guaranteed the th- as pittance as the 345 is they're not they're, even guaranteed that they're not even guaranteed that um, Patricia because there's so many different grades inside in the factory and just going back to that example of the factory making 14.5 million there are three factories in Cork alone so they are making over uh, 45 million of a saving this time this, this year than this time last year so that's just disgraceful going back to the grading this is why the beef have been campaigning for the last nine months since we were established to get rid of these anti-competitive practices like the 30-month uh, age limit, 16-month, the four-movement rule, the 70-day on farmers. And see, they are only all practices to keep the farmer down and to keep the prices off them. Like I've mentioned to you before, when you go into a supermarket, there isn't a shelf inside in the shop with meat that's over 30 months. Absolutely. And that certainly isn't cheaper. Yeah, we're not there paying. The shelf, yeah. you we're know, paying the same, the same price. Yeah. We're paying the very same price. Yeah. And the same thing goes with the, the four movement. You know, if you move your animals more than four times, again, automatically you're dropped 12 cents per kg. 
when you go into the shop or any supermarket here in Ireland, there is not a shelf in any supermarket saying this meat has been more, moved more than four times. You're not getting any cheaper. You're paying the very same thing across the board. And that's not acceptable. And the feeling is that the factories are doing this to pay the farmer less. That's, that's what the, that's what the farmers will the, say. The retailers will have to come on board here as well because they're actually making a 50% profit on everything here. The farmers are only getting 20% of the price of the meat. The processor is getting 30 But in fact, the retailer is getting 50%. So like I mentioned to Mr. Creed last Saturday, the retailers have to come in to the table this time for the round table talk. Okay, were were you involved or were you aware of the meeting that went on yesterday, where the setting up of this independent farmers of Ireland? No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't aware of that or involved. But I like. I can see if it does have to be set up. You know, again, you know the whole legal action that's been taken against yeah. at the moment. Unfortunately, I'd love nothing more than to be out there with my fellow farmers. But you're, you're, are you, are you named in the injunction? Are you? Yes, I'm on yeah. the national committee of the beef plan movement. So if I'm seen anywhere <clears throat> within the radius standing at all, even. Do you know, then, then I could be. You could end up in court. How, are um, the are the independent farmers out protesting this morning? Do you yes, know? Yeah, they are. They are. Okay. All right. Do you, have you heard anything that APP have left off staff? Well, I haven't heard anything this time round, Patricia, but when the beef plan were protesting, they're back along. They had mentioned that they have to temporarily let go staff. But this is a perfect example of how valuable the farmer is here in, in this whole equation. This will prove to you if the farmers will go out of business. Those staff will lose their jobs permanently. Yeah, permanently. permanently. So, I mean, and you, and the farmers, the farmers didn't. effect here in Northern Ireland. Not only will the factories, the workers in the factories, be losing their jobs, but you have your local co-ops, you have your local shops, your businesses, your marts, the schools, the GA clubs. It's the whole knock-on effect. Do you know the, what I mean? the protest was stepped down yesterday, and the, because the Chinese went in to Correct. view the plant in in Bandon. were you disappointed to hear that the Chinese didn't get into one of the plants in County Roscommon? Well, I was. I was disappointed because, I mean, I welcome all new markets at all times. Um, it's very valuable that we have new markets, um, you know, going forward for our, our, for our beef to get out of the country, of course. Um, but again, I can't speak for those farmers up there. Um, you know, possibly maybe they might have had a deal done. I don't know. Maybe the factory didn't carry out their side of the bargain. I am not sure what exactly went on up there. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it's. I understand completely why the farmers are so outraged at what's going on. I suppose it's plain and simple, Patricia, the farmers just cannot pay their bills. These are farmers that have never been out in the picket lines in their entire life and they're pushed to this. They have no choice. They have to come out here. I mean, they they won't be be a next generation to take over the farming, Patricia. It'll be gone. It'll be gone. And, you know, this is just, it's, it's not easy to watch this happen. I mean, to think that Larry Goodman made a profit of 170 million last year the farmers wouldn't know what a profit would look like. They can't even pay their bills. Jim is you know? saying, Patricia, for your, for your information, there are 225 grades in the grading system. The grading system it's a lottery. Yeah. 225? Yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. See, but you, as a farmer, you would have no way of knowing. You have absolutely no way of knowing, Patricia. Once your animals leave your, your trailer in, in, this, in the factory yard or if a haulier brings them for you, you don't know anymore what's going to happen with that animal from the minute they leave that cattle box or, or lorry up into the chute, you have no more control or say. This is another part of the plans, um, um, plan is to get a regulator into every factory, to regulate what's going on inside there. Um, also, what they did achieve in the talks back along was to get the cattle weighed. So what we, what we would be looking for is getting weighed before and after trimming. Because when they trim the animal, you don't know what they're trimming. They can trim an awful lot of the animal off. They're saying they're trimming off that. But they, in fact, meat comes off of that as well. 
Okay. So they're trimming away a lot of your cattle that you don't even know about, which you should be getting paid for. And another big thing, which I brought up to Minister Creed last Saturday, and I asked him before about this as well, Patricia, why aren't the farmers getting paid for the fifth quarter? And the fifth quarter includes the offal, the tongue, which is a delicacy of Japan. You have the uh, the cheeks of the cows are actually used in supermarkets for making, uh, you know, kebabs and stuff like that. You have the hides, you have the hoofs, which are used for cosmetic reasons and other various parts of the spleen. And that is a value of 150 to 200 per animal. And the farmer has never got this, Patricia. And who gets that? The factory gets it. That's who gets and it. And they sell it on? And they sell it on. And we what? don't get anything for it. What? All right, so listen, we'll talk you know, again. We'll talk again, uh, Helen. In the meantime, <coughs> thank you for that and thanks for, thanks for giving us the much. update. Can, Good. I just, can I just get yeah. an opportunity to ask the Minister Creed again, if he's listening, to please, please, I'm urging you once again to please try and bring everyone around the table, get the talks going, stop this from what's happening all these sports because I am afraid that someone will get badly injured or hurt and it's not good enough Patricia these farmers are being treated like criminals lorries are driving through them and hitting them and hurting them and it's not good enough Patricia Okay Alright Helen okay, listen, thank thanks for much. that and uh, thank thanks uh, for joining us that is uh, Helen O'Sullivan of the Beef Plan Movement Last Thursday members of the Anti-Deportation Ireland met with residents of the new Riverside Park Hotel Emergency Direct Provision Centre in McCroom where they say conditions at this centre are concerning on a number of levels. Joe Moore of Anti-Deportation Ireland uh, joins me. Good morning to you Joe. Good morning Patricia. Now Joe, Riverside Park Hotel is described as emergency accommodation for asylum seekers. How long do residents expect to be there? That's, I suppose that's a question nobody can answer. These centres have been in existence for over 12 months now and there's no sign of that system coming to an end. In fact, the um, the facility in McCroom has just been opened with over a month, so the government are still opening these centres, so the answer is nobody knows. I mean, when we think back 19 years ago to uh, when the direct provision system was initiated. Mm. The government spoke about it being for six months. Short term, I remember as well. Yeah, I remember yeah, as well, and it and it's still there. It's, it's yeah, nineteen it's still, years later. So the right, so yeah. the danger is the worry is from a group like your point of view, and indeed from the residents' point of view, the worry is that they'll just be left there. Correct. It, it, it appears from our perspective that it's a type of a new parallel system that that with lesser conditions than the people in the direct provision system proper have. And that, I suppose, an example of that is the conditions under which the people in Riverside Park have to endure the fact that, you know, the strict rules with regard to food and... Now explain, explain the, the, this is issues accessing food. Just explain what's happening. Yeah, there, there are three meals a day and okay. there are set there are set times uh, with no control over the menu. Uh, once the evening meal is finished at 6pm, there's no food again available until 8am the following morning and residents are not allowed to bring food with them to their rooms. So you can imagine how that would affect children and particularly younger children if food is not uh, allowed into the individual rooms. So that's a very serious concern. Are um, they consulted about the menus? No. There's no consultation whatsoever. And it's the basic menu, I, I suppose, food that's 
food that they are not familiar with and it it's of a very basic uh, quality as well. It basically is burger, chips, uh, pizzas, chicken curry, fish fingers, that type of stuff. Okay, so it's it's not fine dining. Is, no, is, definitely is, is what, what lack, well, lack of GP services, what's going on there? Yeah, they were told that all the GPs in McCroom are full, so they don't have access to any GP. And when they raised this with the management at the Riverside Park, they were informed that if there was a medical situation, that they should contact SOTOC. Now, we all know what SOTOC is, and, you know, it's there for emergencies, not where... And it's, and it's, out, and it's out of hours. So you're saying if, if, if one of the residents wakes up in the morning and, God forbid, has a sick child, they've got to wait until SOTOC kicks in at, what, five, six o'clock in the evening? Yeah, whenever normal GP services cease, yeah. No school transport for the children? No, and I don't know whether people are aware of McCroom, the geography of McCroom, but this centre is on the western side of McCroom, across from the graveyard, as one one exits the town as such. The primary school is in the town centre, it would be just off the main street, near where the bus depot is, up the hill there. It's two kilometres and looking at Google Maps, it says it's a 28-minute walk. That's obviously for an adult, but you can imagine children, young children going to primary school, having to make that walk, and it's particularly coming into the winter. If you contrast that with the conditions in the direct provision system proper in Cork alone, for example, in Ashburn and Lowntown, in Kinsale Road in the city, in the city, and in um, Trishan and Mill Street, there are shuttle buses to take the kids to school in the morning. That doesn't exist. So what you're rivers. describing almost, Joe, is a two-tiered direct provision centre. That's what Anti-Deportation Ireland would see. Currently, we're talking about the whole system. You have 39 direct provision centres, and you now have up to 30 of these emergency centres so it, it it's obvious that the number of emergency service is increasing with lesser facilities than in the direct provision centre system how, proper. How many people are in McCroom, Joe? I'm not sure of that not number. Sure. No, oh, right. no. and, and there are families and there are children. We know that there are there small are children. Yeah. There, are fam- there are children, yeah. There, and a lot of younger children as well. You know. And these are people looking for asylum? They're correct, yeah, they're asylum seekers. So they and have come from countries where they fear for their lives? Correct, yes. You know where they're a threat to their lives and, and they've arrived here. Now, we condemn the direct provision system itself and we're cause, calling for its closure. But little we, did we think that another system would be put in place that's even worse again than the direct provision system. You know, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying two tier. But but Joe, you know, and and I can already see some texts uh, coming in. You know the argument that is going to be made. They should be lucky. They have a roof over their head. They have three basic meals a day. I mean, they, that, that, they should just put up with it. Well, almost. that's that's fine, I suppose, for people that do not have to put up with those conditions. And add to that that you have people in a foreign country as such, they're not, you know, integrated yet in, into the culture or whatever the, the country. 
and don't know what's happening in their cases. For example, people that enter the direct provision system spend initially spend some time in the reception centre that's in Balsaskin. It, it's in Finglas in Dublin. And in that uh, reception centre, they have access to medical screening and basic orientation. These people never got that. A number of the people we spoke with were transferred from other emergency services or centres in Dublin City. So even that basic, I suppose, reception... Wasn't offered to them. Okay, the the concerns raised by the residents to you, Joe, what have you now done with those concerns? Have you raised them with the management who are running the centre in McCroom? We have not, because there's an issue. You see, the, the way these things work is that if anybody contacts the management of Riverside Park, they refer you to RIA, that's the Reception Integration Agency, the unit within the Department of Justice. Who run the centres. Who run the centres. And is that where you're going to go with the concerns? Well, they have made it very clear, and the Minister for Justice has, that in relation to these emergency services, that there's no um, information available to the public. For example... Okay, I'll have to hurry up, Joe, because I've got to go to news. Oh, sorry, yeah. Go on. Yeah, that they're saying because of commercial sensitivity, etc. They, they always, won't. they always yeah. give us even when we we try to get it. Okay, uh, yeah. no, no doubt it's an issue. We will return to uh, Joe, but in the meantime, thank you for that, and thanks thank for joining us on, on the program. That is uh, Joe Moore, who's with the Anti Deportation Ireland Group uh, in Cork, and they met with the residents of the Riverside Park Hotel. And by the way, the residents had to meet uh, off site as management wouldn't allow Anti Deportation Ireland to meet with the re- residents on the premises. I don't know what that was all about. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As they go out, they get a lot of support. So farmers need to bring things to a standstill for the country to take note of what is happening. Otherwise, it will simply continue. John says, in 1998, milk was 28 pence a gallon. And it's the same today, 30 years down the road. Is that, is it the same price to make 30 years on? My father, says John, sold lambs for £75. That was 30 years ago. You get the same price if you go to sell those lambs today. There is only one way to sort this beef problem as farmers are being treated like criminals. There is only one way to deal with this. Close the marts, close the factories and then they will uh, listen. It does seem crazy though that somebody is getting paid the same amount for a product that they were getting paid 20 or 30 years ago when you look at how all the other costs have gone up in that same time uh, period. It doesn't really make any sense at all. Kieran says strict regulations came in a number of years ago that closed down a lot of abattoirs across the country. At one time, the number of butchers in various areas all had their own abattoir. At one point, says Kieran, there would have been an abattoir in nearly every parish. Now, he says, I'm all for quality, but they also got too strict. And that's what's happening now. While John in Formoy says, I feel in this country, you just keep your mouth closed and leave the multinationals do what they want to do. It's like that now with the beef plants at the moment. The multinationals are ruling this country. Something has to give. 1850-333-103. That's some of your calls in to John Paul. And then by text, we got farmers should put a stop to Bordbia inspections. This is from Tim. Bordbia are no help to beef farmers. It's easy for Gar- for Larry Goodman 
flying around in a 7 million euro helicopter. He is making so much money. Uh, Frank says, Helen O'Sullivan who joined us in the Beef Plan movement or indeed any of the Beef Plan movement have no authority to speak on behalf of the farmers protesting, says Frank. The Beef Plan movement have told farmers not to protest. So how can they represent protesting farmers? They gave 38 hours in talk and achieved nothing kind regards, says Frank. I think you're being a bit unfair to the Beef Plan movement. They don't have, I mean, Helen herself said she would like nothing better than to be out protesting at the APP plant in Bandon today. But she's named on a High Court injunction as are all of the high-level members of the Beef Plan movement. They have no choice. If they go on any of the protests, they will end up in jail. So I can understand why they are not at the uh, protests. Um, And are they speaking on behalf of farmers? Well, I think when they went in to speak, certainly when they went in to speak with Minister Michael Creed, I mean, they were putting the point across of how bad it was. So, so therefore, they, in a sense, they were representing all of the farmers who were protesting all over uh, the country. And then on, thank you, Frank, for your text. And then on tongue, which was an issue that got raised by Helen when she was talking about the other parts of the animal that the farmer doesn't get paid for. And yet the factory sell it on and that there's money to be made in other parts of the animal. A texter says, and she mentioned tongue was one of the things she mentioned. She says, this texter says, ox tongue is valued at 34 euro per kg in supermarket. Now, I don't know where you're getting the price of that, but it got me to thinking, I wonder how much an ox tongue is. So I did a quick Google search during the news at 11. And seemingly, if you buy ox tongue by the slice, it works out rather expensive. It can be, few slices will cost you a few euro. Whereas if you buy a whole ox tongue from a butcher, which weighs about one kg, it'll cost you about seven or eight euro. And that was according to a butcher in Dublin, who last year was talking about signs that ox tongue was coming back into fashion as people were looking for different varieties of meat and for some reason ox tongue. And then it got me thinking, too many people eat ox tongue? Too many? I don't know if many local butchers uh, sell it. Have you ever eaten ox tongue? And is as I say, it was a Dublin butcher who in September, this this time last year was saying that it appeared to be coming back into fashion so it obviously was something was there in a former time and then for whatever reason people fell out of favour with eating offal and ox tongue and uh, now it's coming back into fashion so I'd be interested to hear from anybody who has or does regularly eat tongue I'm really biting my own tongue. I wonder what it tastes like. T- to me now, it would be quite chewy. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a very tender cut of uh, meat. I don't know. I don't even know how you would cook it. 1850 And then we had some reaction to my chat with Joe Moore. Joe Moore joined me in the last hour. Joe is with Anti-Deportation Ireland. He's with the Cork branch of Anti-Deportation Ireland. And last Thursday, he went along with others and they met with a group of residents who are currently living in the Riverside Park Hotel. It is an emergency direct provision centre in Macroom. They've been there now, I'm told, for about a month. Is is it a month? I remember when when they moved in. Um, And they're not happy with the services that they're getting at the Riverside 
Park Hotel. They have a number of issue issues that they're concerned with. One of them is they have no access to food. They get served three meals a day. There isn't any discussion as to what the menu is, so they just turn up for breakfast, dinner and tea, and whatever is on is on. So it's the same menu for, for children and for adults. And then the food ends at six o'clock. So I'm, I'm assuming... Is it dinner in the middle of the day or, or dinner in the evening time? But food finishes at six in the in the evening and then breakfast starts at eight o'clock the next morning. So they have no access to food between 6pm and 8pm and they're not allowed to bring food from the dining room. They're barred from, bringing, from having food in their rooms. That's causing a problem obviously for children if they're uh, hungry or indeed some of the adults might be hungry, might be a bit peckish in the evening time. Uh, they're also complaining that they don't have a GP service in McCroom because all the GPs are full and if they get sick they have to go to South Dock. They also are complaining about the fact that they are two kilometres from McCroom Town Centre and there is no shuttle bus Transport. So if they need to get in or out of town, they have to walk. They, there are children who have to go to school, so they have to walk the children to and from school uh, every morning. Also, if they want to go into, say, Cork City, the only way they can get in is with public transport. Or if they need to go to Dublin, and they will need to go to Dublin for mandatory official appointments, then they have to use public transport and pay for it up front, but they will get their money back from the local community welfare office but they'll have to pay the train or the bus ticket uh, up first so they're really not happy with the service that they're getting at the Riverside Park uh, Hotel and Joe on behalf of the Anti-Deportation Ireland is highlighting the fact of what's uh, going on and as I did say to Joe when we were when I was interviewing him I knew that not everyone was going to be happy to hear what Joe and this group were trying to do they're trying to fight for better conditions for these asylum seekers and at least put them on par with people who were in direct provision centres, even though anti-deportation Ireland are against. They want direct provision as a whole needs to be closed in the immediate future. They want our asylum seekers to look after in this country different to the direct provision centre. But at least in direct provision uh, centres, they do have access to food and cooking themselves. Uh, They also have shuttle buses to take them in and out of the nearest town or in and out of the nearest city. And they also have school transport for their children if they need to get them in and out to uh, school. Some of the comments uh, coming in. My God, what is this country coming to? Some people, including our politicians, would have us bend over backwards for asylum seekers and refugees and yet they appear to do nothing for our own homeless Irish people who in many cases might be better off if they were refugees that is John and then a different John says a pity about economic migrants in McCroom they're getting three meals a day and a warm bed to sleep in what about our own people sleeping in tents on the My Dyke that we only spoke about last week on the programme uh, John says he would deep the lot. Now we don't know, we've no way of knowing how many of the asylum seekers that are in McCroom are economic migrants. I absolutely accept when asylum seekers come, there are some very, very genuine asylum seekers who are in this country who fled their own country under fear of uh, of being killed. But will there be economic migrants in the midst of it? Of course. I mean, but that's where the asylum system is wrong. We need to weed out who are the economic uh, migrants versus the people that genuinely need our protection because if we leave them in the country they're in they're, they're going to lose their own uh, lives uh, Texas says just want to say the people who say asylum seekers should just push up or shut up well it might be well advised for those people to be kind please and to remember the women in the Magdalene laundries the children in industrial schools and people who are locked up in psychiatric hospitals and that's a fair enough point 
because there was a time in this country with the Magdalene laundries and now what we know is subsequently uh, going on. There was a time when the Magdalene laundries were, were operating. There was some people in society saying, well, isn't it great that the nuns are looking after those women and they have a roof over their heads and they have, you know, warm food in their bellies every day. Nobody questioned the conditions that those women were living in and the same in the industrial schools. And there was that issue. Isn't it great what those brothers and sisters are doing, looking after those children? And and if they tried to speak out, they would have been told, like, you know, put up or shut up uh, kind of thing. So here's a listener saying, you know, we need to be kind more than anything and stop and reflect before you start criticising people who are not happy with the conditions in the emergency direct provision centre in McCroom. While a different John, a lot of Johns listen to the programme, says, Patricia, isn't it gas that we Irish are taking in direct provision people into this country? We're taking in asylum seekers to live in direct provision. We're putting a roof over their heads and we're feeding them while our own are dying on the streets. And to sicken us more, our own people are coming onto radio stations like your own, looking for more for them, for the asylum seekers. Who are the fools here? It's a great little country. If they don't like it, says John, tell them that they can go at home. 1850-333-103 and thank you to some people who were reacting to ox tongue. What's ox tongue like? Now I'm going to vomit. (laughs) Says the texter, hearing you talk about ox tongue. Yuck! Have you ever tasted it? One wonders. Um, Somebody says, you boil ox tongue for two hours. It's lovely and tender and you buy it for 10 euro in the market. Is that in the farmer's market or in some market? Somebody else says, ox tongue was always the poor man's food. Now you've got to go and buy it in a deli. I've bought it and I've cooked it in the past. It is tender, says Mags, but it's obviously all in the boiling. You need to boil it for quite quite some uh, time. Hi Trish, I eat ox tongue. I boil it and then I leave it go cold and then eat it I eat honeycombed tripe as well oh no I've never eaten tripe even just the look of it inside in the butcher's shop would turn me off but honeycombed tripe I'm assuming there's a sweetness to it anyway our Michael in Bantry uh, he's loving that and it's doing doing him well and Mary from Donnerwell says, my husband ate ox tongue once, told him was a new kind of ham and he loved it. It is quite nice. I'd like it if he knew what it was 100%. He's, he liked it and it was quite nice. But if he had knew, known what it was, he would have vomited. I guarantee you that, says Mary from Donnerwell. So she lied to her beautiful, wonderful husband and told him new kind of ham and there it was, ox tongue, knowing that if she told him he's a kind of a tender old stomach, he wouldn't have eaten it at all. And I suppose we've all done that over the years. I remember many years ago being on holidays in Spain and being offered something to eat and it was this, I was chewing and chewing and chewing and chewing. Kind of a fishy old taste from it. I just, what the hell is this? And it turned out to be octopus, and I did not like it, I have to say. Had I known before I ate it, would, would I have put it in my mouth? No, but I did try it, but I didn't like it, so I never went back for seconds. 1850 333 103. Lines open. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll, they've got a vacancy for a farm supervisor. While the HSE, they're recruiting home care staff for Kinsale, Ballinspittle, Belgooley, Riverstick, Halfway and Inishannon. General plumbing assistants are wanted, qualified or with ability to learn would be considered. 
and full and part-time sales roles are available for immediate start with Vodafone Bandon and in Clonakilty. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Just to remind you that a taste of West Cork is kicking off this uh, Friday and we are once again uh, media partners and this show Cork Today, we are bringing it to live from the heart of the action this Friday will be at Fields Supermarket in Skibbereen. So if you're around Skibbereen on Friday between 10 and 1, pop along to Fields as Super Value. We look forward to saying hi to you. We'll be sampling some of the local produce and drink from a taste of West Cork Food Festival and of course it is more than a food festival. It's a festival about all that is good in West Cork. That's a taste of West Cork kicking off this uh, Friday with an outside broadcast from Fields in Skibbereen. We are looking forward to it. Now, according to fresh data from Social Justice Ireland, about €4 billion is being spent in Ireland each year on subsidies that potentially damage the environment. Colette Bennett from Social Justice Ireland uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Colette. Good morning, Chief Trisha. How are you doing? I, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now, I suppose, explain which subsidies you've identified and who they're paid to. OK, so essentially there's about two and a half million, or sorry, billion going to um, directly in relation to, to peat subsidies and, and subsidies for extracting fossil fuels. Um, and then the, the remainder, that's about one point. Six billion um, is in relation to indirect subsidies. So they would go to um, to, to industries that are indirectly um, having a negative effect on on climate um, and climate change. And what we think, you know, because tax subsidies aren't really scrutinised in, in as many ways as as the other um, tax expenditures within the budget, it's time to start looking at this. So, for example, fossil fuel support to two and a half um, agricultural. Food Food supports are almost one and a half billion, and then there's transport subsidies and fishing and aquatic sports subsidies. So we know, for example, that agriculture, energy, and transport are three of the biggest polluters in terms of industries. And yet, um, I think they account for something along the lines of 73% of all, all uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And yet, they're getting 4.1 billion between them. Um, in subsidies that isn't being reviewed, isn't being periodically reviewed in the same way as, as other budget expenditures would be um, and really aren't being scrutinised in any real way. So what we would say is it's time to start looking at exactly what the government is doing in terms of what they're spending money on or what they're choosing to, I suppose, forego money on um, and what they really should be investing in. So, for example, you know, we're making um, our budget proposals at the moment and have been since June and we're calling on things like retrofitting for older homes and for community spaces. Because we know, for example, that of the the 835,000 households with BER certificates, that's the energy rating certificate, we know that 58,500 of those are the very, very lowest. Now, Normally, um, you know, th- those people are most likely to live in older homes. They're most likely to have a lower income, be in poverty or at risk of poverty, and they're more likely to be older people. They're therefore more likely to be less able to mitigate against um, climate action. And they're, they're, they're less likely to be able to pay to have their homes insulated and to pay, even when the SEI grant was working properly, um, to be able to pay those upfront costs and get the grant 
land paid back to them. So what we would be looking for is a different mechanism for for subsidising um, those retrofitting and to, to make uh, fuel poverty and, and particularly particularly for low income families. But is is it isn't it worrying that there is no large scale funded refer, retrofit program in place to replace the Sustainable Energy Authorities program? It absolutely is. I mean, at the moment, the confusion around that whole thing is really, really concerning. I mean, the government knows these these figures are are put out there by the CSO every year. The government knows how many uh, households are living in fuel poverty. The government knows how many households have low energy ratings and therefore need to be retrofitted as a matter of urgency. They're also aware of the increased rate of deaths caused by respiratory illnesses. Um, They are aware of the fact that lower income households and older people tend to be more reliant on fossil fuels. Um, And yet, they have completely underfunded the granting system and they've structured it in such a way that it's practically inaccessible to people on low income. We do need an entirely new way of looking at this and to, to subsidise it in a very different way. Do you think we'll struggle to meet our target of carbon neutral economy by 2050? I think we'll struggle greatly if we make it anywhere near it at all. Yeah, and we're, we, we're the self-professed climate laggards and it's almost, I mean, at the time when it was said it was quite surprising when Leo Varadkar professed to that and confessed to it, but now it's, it's, it's almost like a badge of honour when really it shouldn't be. We are going in the wrong direction when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions. We are pulling Europe in the wrong direction and we are doing nothing to mitigate it. Um, you know, the, the fact that we have a huge nitrogen oxide problem, particularly in urban centres and in and around Dublin, according to the EPA report last month. And the advice on that is lift your children above the exhaust fumes. I mean, it's laughable if it wasn't so serious and so damaging to people's health. And what, you know, we need more than that. We need act, action. We need government policy to mitigate this. But without political will, that's as good as we're going to get. So if, if you've added up this four billion in, in subsidies, that would go a long way, wouldn't it, to supporting those low income households to make the necessary changes to support it, climate action? It absolutely would. I mean, you know, we've made a series of policy recommendations in our national social monitor, which is available on our website, socialjustice.ie. But for example, you know, for budget twenty twenty, an allocation of a hundred and thirty million now, out of 4.1 billion, that is, an, a, you know, a relatively low figure to start a retrofitting program for community spaces and for older homes, particularly for those on a low income. Um, we've asked for, you know, public transport and green public transport to stop this um, huge amount and huge disparity between rural dwellers and those in urban centres relying on private transport. So, for example, in your own area in Cork, um, we're seeing that there's there's double uh, the amount of people in Cork County than in Cork City um, are commuting for an hour or more. Mm. Um, there's also, you know, a far... A, Far, sorry, a far greater reliance on um, private transport in Cork County than there is in Cork City. And that all adds up. If you're spending long time commuting to work and you're in private transport, that is obviously emitting more uh, gases into the atmosphere. It's obviously causing pollution. Um, but you have no other option but to um, use that transport because there isn't sustainable public transport available in your area. Yeah, we don't have the dart of the Lewis outside our door, unfortunately. All right, uh, Colette, it's an issue I know we will return to in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. 
Thank you so much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Colette Bennett from Social Justice uh, Ireland, 1850 And actually, when we're talking about the environment and things that are potentially dangerous to the, to the environment, one thing you'll often hear people talk about is, you know, today's generation that, you know, people use things once and then they throw it away. And, you know, who repairs things uh, anymore? You know, there was a time if you, you know, got a hole in, in, in a jumper or whatever, you know, granny or mammy would take out the the sewing kit and they'd be darning things whereas now people just throw it away and, and buy a new one. Well Gretchen has been on to us and she's wondering does anybody repair televisions anymore? She said they got a t- reasonably new TV they have it about two years uh, and something's happened to it and it's not working. They went back to the shop and the person in the shop now I, I don't know where Gretchen is calling us from but the person in the shop said no nobody repairing TVs anymore if a TV breaks now it's a case of you simply go out and buy uh, a new one uh, but Gretchen just feels because hers is only two years old you just think of the of the environment the environment now I know that Gretchen will responsibly recycle her TV but you just kind of think really surely there's somebody out there that can fix what is a relatively new TV so we decided we'd throw it out there to see does anybody know of the TV repairman everybody knew a TV repairman they usually worked in the shops remember the day where you used to rent TVs and the younger generation will go what you rent TVs you paid a weekly amount and you rented them uh, but there was always TV repair there was always a TV repair person in the town or in your neighbourhood and everybody knew where to go when the TV broke down. And back in the day, certainly back when I was growing up, TVs broke down a lot and you were without the TV then for a day or two while it was being repaired. Anyway, does anybody know, can TVs be repaired? Or is it simply, as Greta has been told, if your TV breaks down, even if it's only two years old, you simply get rid of it and you buy a new one. Red and Blue Theatre Company, which was founded just last year by husband and wife duo Dylan Kennedy and Jenny Fennessy, will stage Abby Morgan's Love Song at the Cork Arts Theatre, opening tomorrow night and running through until September 14th to give us a flavour of the play. Dylan Kennedy and uh, Jenny Fennessy both join me in studio. Good morning to you. Thanks very much for having us, Patricia. Well, you're, you're very welcome. Now, you performed the Irish premiere of the play back in January of this year. I suppose start by telling me, Jenny, a little bit of the storyline to it. Um, so the play is about a young married couple and they've just moved to America. He's a dentist. It's set in the 70s and she's a homemaker. And then we see they've just got married and moved to a new country. And Dylan and I play the young married couple. And then we have the same couple on stage, but 40 years later. Okay. That's played by Sean Hearn and Mary Flavin Colbert. And sometimes the worlds kind of weave into each other and and you just kind of see this, the span of their life and how it all panned out for them. And you're you're all on stage at the same time? Not all the time. Okay. So, um, at the beginning... Well, that mic just a little bit, Dylan. Sorry, yeah. yeah. And uh, at the beginning there, um, you see the, the younger couple and then you see the older couple and then the worlds start to merge a little bit and the yeah. young see the future or vice versa where the past looks back and sees their younger selves and they reflect on kind of key moments um, and you and you don't get a full answer but you have to piece it together the audience piece together the kind of jigsaw of their lives um, so and the I think some of the most poignant moments are some of the moments that people really hold on to and take away after they've seen the play are those moments where the older couple and the younger couple have contact or they see each other or there's so, an exchange yeah, yeah. yeah and we've put in without giving too much away we've okay. put in um some dance sequences between those couples as well and I think they really 
kind of give something to the player, don't they, Jen? They you, do. There's sometimes the things that people said they found the most moving were Dylan might have a little dance with Mary or I might with Sean. Oh, yeah. oh that's, that's yeah. And I know when I was reading reviews, I mean, uh, people you know, describe it as being um, beautifully written. Uh, t- for people who don't know, Abby Morgan... Now, she's an Emmy and a BAFTA award-winning writer. How did you come to this play, Jenny, and tell me about Abby Morgan? Well, we, Dylan and I originally met in 2008 doing a play in Kilkenny and then we didn't work together since then and we moved home to Ireland two years ago and we said, you know what, let's find a play that we can put on that's but only one that we really love and that appeals to a lot of people. In London, I saw a lot of niche theatre that was kind of for a particular type of person and I wanted something that my mother would like, my grandmother would like, my dad, that the whole family could enjoy. So, we read about 60 plays and originally Dylan and I thought we'd just do a play with the two of us but then we stumbled upon Love Song and it is one of the best plays I've ever read in my life and we said okay forget the two Um, we're going to go and and have uh, four in the cast and we're going to do this play I just think it's one of the best plays I've ever read. It's just so uniquely told. Abby Morgan writes mostly now in film. She's written things like The Iron Lady, Suffragette, The Hour for the BBC. Oh, but she started in theatre. Okay. But now she predominantly writes in film. I, I guess that's where the money is. But yeah. but it is a really beautiful play. And it's lovely that it's never been seen in Ireland before because you don't know where it's going. You can't guess the ending. Perhaps like if you saw another a well-known writer, maybe John B. Keane, you kind yeah. of know where it's going. Yeah, we all go to John B. Keane. Yeah, he's and he's brilliant too. And they but, put bombs yeah. on seats. But you know what's coming. You do. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah. not with this, which yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, yeah which, is, which is great. And uh, Dylan, you're getting great reaction. We are. Oh, the, we couldn't believe it when we first put it on. We put in so many long days because the show has uh, lots of beautiful music and has moving images on a backdrop. And Jen and I put it all together ourselves and it was a learning curve. So we were doing 16, 17, 20 hour days back to back, back to back. And then we performed the show in a kind of a haze, to be honest, we did, the first yeah. time. And then people stood up at the end of it. We couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. We've had standing ovations all the fight. We brought it to Waterford for three nights in January and to Dublin for the last Thursday and Friday. And we've had standing ovations every single night we've done it. It's That's just incredible. been amazing. And it's like spontaneous. People yeah, just yeah. absolutely. But this is your first time staging it in Cork. It is. Um, Which is extra special for me. Like I haven't performed in Cork since I was a teenager. I left when I was 19. You were a Glenville na- native. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And um, so I went off to, to London to study acting and then the work came in and I stayed in England. I came back to do one show in Dublin, but never in Cork. And my first ever, ever show was when I was 12 in the Cork Arts Theatre. Oh, so it's kind of this. You're Monfort's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I did um, the pantomime there when I was 12. Uh, I played Abenazer, which had loads of green makeup and I was going into school with green makeup on the yeah. back of my neck. The lads were like, what's up with your man? <laughs> but um, so back to the cat club now, which is just this kind of brilliant full circle. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm delighted. That, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's, there, there's something special about that. There, re- there really is. Jenny, you started out with the Palace Players. I did. I did a show with Palace Players. And Brideview. And Brideview, yeah. yeah. They were brilliant. Uh, we were really proud of our, our kind of um, roots in amateur theatre because they gave us fantastic opportunities. Jack O'Hearn in, in Brideview, I played um, in Moonshine and we won the All-Ireland with that and also with Liam Howard in Palace Players, I did Son of Man with them. And they just gave us great work and from actually 
actually working with um, Brideview. Jim Nolan gave me my first acting job because he came to see the show in uh, Tallow. So that's kind of where it all started so it's, for it's me. it's proving that people can make that transition from the amateur drama scene. Absolutely. But it's a great training ground. Yeah, it really is. It's fantastic. And you're just learning so much and everyone's so positive and everyone is just like working really hard and you've got the shared goal and you're going forward with that. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. And, and you're giving back to that sector, um, Dylan, because you're, you're the two other at the actors on stage have come from the amateur that's drama right. circus. I think that's something we're really proud of. Um, yeah. Jen and I went to see, you know, several shows when we came home and and some of them were um, the on the circuit, so to speak, the festival circuit. And we fell in love with these two brilliant actors from that world and they have been outstanding um, in those parts. No one can do them better anywhere. Um, we, could, we couldn't have locked out any better, no, could we? It's brilliant. And Sean and Mary have worked together for like 15 or 20 years. So they are freehand with each other. And like they're playing a married couple, their relationship is so strong that that really lends itself to that. So we're really lucky to have them. And the standard is so high on, on that, you know, in the amateur drama world. Yeah. The standard is amazing. Yeah. Um, and we've been doing workshops with amateur drama groups around Cork and Washford. And, yeah, and I mean, I'm, really I'm really well. interested in this because you, you, you've set up the, the company. You're back. I mean, w- w- when you look at the work that both of you have done, you've, you've done some, some impressive work when you, when you were over in, in the UK. So, so well done. You're back now. Are you back for good now, Jenny? Yeah, we are. We think so. I mean, if some acting work came up in London, I would go back for it. I, I did an episode of Call the Midwife um, last year when we were living in Ireland then. But you just, you'd go back for like filming or a theatre job, but yeah. predominantly in Ireland now. Okay. Well, we, we came home to... To settle, to, didn't we? Well, get we, married. We got, came home and a month later we were married. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Putting down roots, aren't we, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. yeah, 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 but uh, but part of what you're doing with the with your red and blue uh, theatre company, you're doing you're working with the amateur drama circuit. Yeah, we are because we learned an awful lot from like different directors and from training as actors in London, and we kind of think. Uh, thought like it'd be great to share these skills and, and tips and tricks that we've learned along the way because it took us a long time to figure figure out you know how, what's the right way to do this or different directors ideas and that so we've just been running uh, really successfully workshops with amateur drama groups around Cork and Waterford well and we've loved it the standard's been amazing we've had great time uh, working with all the different groups and doing scenes and um, exercises and teaching kind of some of the uh, the acting techniques that we've learned along the way it's been brilliant yeah yeah because yeah, Dylan is is it hard to you know a new drama company getting it up and running is it that's that's tough it is has been a challenge but it's been really rewarding it's given back to us hasn't it yeah really and um, yeah and and also you know you feel like you learn a lot when you're doing the acting for 10 years or whatever but this is a whole new kettle of fish so it's been a very exciting challenge for us yeah and we've had great support like when people say why didn't you do this in London well we never could have done it in London because the support here has just been amazing everyone's just been so kind and caring and 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 really behind us the whole way like and I imagine the family and the friends will be out in force <laughs> well, they over over the next yeah. release, guys. Jen's dad has yeah. been incredible. Um, I mean, they come and support the show, of course, but. Um, even just moving the set it all gets transported in um, Jenny's dad's cattle box um, <laughs> with things strapped to the top of it um, so we're a theatre like, company yeah. in a cattle box yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that not no. at all we're <laughs> delighted <laughs> to have it so, so you open tomorrow night and you run through until Saturday the 14th that's, that's right. it yeah. Yeah. and yeah, the show starts a 10 night run yeah we're yeah. really really delighted that's it's ambitious well done yeah we, yeah. Were, we were really lucky the Cork Arts Theatre had amazing um, funding this year to support emerging artists um, so as part of that we 
we're one of the 10 companies to have the theatre for uh, up to two weeks. So, yeah, we're delighted with you that opportunity. You grabbed it and yeah, took it. Yeah, that's great. Exactly. We're thrilled. Has yeah. Abby Morgan seen it, by the way? No, 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 no she no. hasn't. She's Welsh, so she's mostly based in Wales and the UK. But um, no, not that we know of anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm always interested in hearing when writers get to see, yeah, yeah, know, get, get yeah. to see their work. OK, so booking is at the Cork Arts Centre dot com. Yeah, Cork Arts Theatre. Yeah, Cork Arts Theatre. Sorry. Com. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. OK, and then what's next? Ooh, well, um, <laughs> I think Have you a about two weeks of sleeping. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then yeah, we've been thinking about this and talking about this a lot. We'd like to do another show, but it's going to take us some time to find something that's as brilliant as this is. So I think yeah. back to the reading list and uh, go through some more plays and and find something. And we've put a definite style stamp of style on this place, so we'll need to have a look to find something, something that like we that. can fit that into as well. And well, again, well, it's important, I think, for us that we find something that appeals to a lot of people. Yeah. Sean in the play says, uh, this play now, I think, is for anyone who's like, you know, 17 to, to 90. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're hard to come by, but yeah. when, when you get them, grab them. Listen, it's been a real pleasure to have you in studio. Continue good luck with your company. Thanks Keep in much. contact with us. Let us know what you're up to. And in the meantime, uh, people can see how wonderfully talented you really are. Uh, love song. It's open tomorrow Wednesday the 4th of September runs through until Saturday the 14th at the Cork Arts Theatre uh, Jenny uh, Fennessy and Dylan Kennedy thank you both for joining us thanks, thanks good morning you're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed you can stop calling us for the hens remember a listener who had uh, four hens and the fox took two of them and uh, she wanted to give good homes to the last two creators <laughs> Still, see creators written in a text um, before the fox got him. Uh, she's in uh, charge of it. Anyway, we got a massive reaction to that, and uh, so we've passed on all the numbers and the areas that people are, con- are phoning from, and uh, we've leaving it to the lady to decide who's getting the hens, which they, they've been sorted anyway. So we we've. We definitely have good homes for them. So thank you for that. And also thank you to a number of people who rang in with suggestions for the lady looking to get her TV repaired. There are TV repairmen out there. There you go. Don't. So if your TV breaks down, particularly if it was only two years old, that's a relatively new TV. Don't be going throwing it out. See if you can get it uh, sorted out. Okay, some are still getting in texts about ox tongue and the cooking of tongue that came up as a kind of a side, really, when we were talking about the beef plan movement and Helen O'Sullivan was talking about it and she just, you know, just gave it as another example of how she feels farmers are hard done by that they get paid for the meat that comes off the cattle that they bring in but then the other ancillary bits of it and the offal and all of that and she mentioned tongue uh, they don't get any money for that and yet it is sold on and then that got me to thinking about does does anybody eat tongue anymore has tongue become popular and it turns out that tongue is coming back into vogue it was somebody said it used to be kind of the poor man's meat and now suddenly it's become almost artisan and people love anything that's that's got an artisan feel about it and seemingly tongue is becoming popular. Some of your commentary in on that. Mary buys a tongue all the time. She says, and agrees that it is quite expensive. She says the tip of the tongue is quite hard and a little bit chewy, but the back part is beautiful and tender. It's salted, but you can also get it spiced, but you have to put in a special order if you want spiced tongue. And she said, if you do go for spiced tongue, the taste and the texture is a little bit like spiced beef at Christmas and anyone who's ever eaten spiced beef at Christmas it kind of just melts in your mouth so thank you for that Mary Joan in McCroom says it's beautiful in salad 
but you do have to boil it for a long time, at least an hour and a half. Some people are even saying two hours and then you have to take the skin off. She said you can also use it in a sandwich, uh, but it's soft and it is a little bit like corned beef. Some of your texts in on tongue. Uh, Hi, Patricia. I happily pay more for milk also now, especially when I buy organic milk, which is great because they're not using plastic containers. She's buying it by the bottle. And this is Sandra who says, tongue is delicious. You do need to cook it very slowly. Peel it, roll it and then press it. It's tender and it is very, very tasty. Someone else says, when you're talking about ox tongue, what about oxtail soup? My God, I grew up on oxtail soup. Is that still on sale? I don't know why, but it was the only packet soup that ever came into our house was oxtail soup. And, and you know, and there was something very warming on a wet evening you know it was like you had it for tea and you had it with toast and the butter would be melting on top of the toast and the oxtail soup would be gorgeous but I don't know why it was always oxtail soup in in our house I'm assuming you can still buy it today but yeah it's the other end of the we're talking about the ox tongue but the oxtail is there uh, as well but as I say I only ever had oxtail out of a packet but I'm assuming people do people get the tail and make soup out of it as well they obviously do Morning Patricia I've eaten ox tongue several times though I've never actually cooked it myself it's absolutely delicious and it is so so tender it is very expensive to buy by the slice but it's quite reasonable to buy a whole ox tongue at the butcher's yeah and that's what bit of research I did during the news that I came out from last year it was a butcher in Dublin was saying it's expensive it'll cost you a couple of euro you know for a couple of slices but if you buy it buy the whole tongue but then you're going to have to go through the cooking of it but it seems to slow cooking cook for a long time seems to be the answer okay also coming into us by phone and text on the direct provision Centre. No, it isn't. The Department of Justice will tell us it's not a direct provision centre. It's an emerge. It's an emergency accommodation for asylum uh, seekers. This is the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom, and we are hearing from Anti-Adoption Ireland, the Cork, uh, the group that have um, uh, have a branch in Cork. They went along to meet residents of the Riverside Park Hotel in McCroom and the residents are not happy with all of the services that they are getting. They have issues accessing food, they have issues around transport and they have issues around the medical care. Um, So acting on their behalf is anti-deportation Ireland. John and Cove says, those people that landed in McCroom landed in heaven. They should be thankful for what they are getting in the hotel compared to the conditions they had before that. I think they have some cheek to complain about our hospitality. But but I have to say, when I was listening to Joe Moore of Anti-Adoption Ireland, when he was describing, and obviously the people that are in the direct, the emergency accommodation are hearing what the people, how the people are living in the direct provision centre, which, you know, people in direct provision will say it's not ideal, but it seems to be better than those that are living in the emergency accommodation. And now what we've ended up with is, and I said it to Joe Moore, is it a two-tier? It's, there's, we seem to have a two-tier system now for direct provision and that will cause problems because the people living in the emergency direct provision centre, if we want to call it that, will want to get exactly what they're getting in the direct provision centre, feeling we should be treated the very same way. So that in itself is going to cause problems and is going to cause the residents that are already there, I think, to complain even more. But not everyone is happy about the fact that that comment in from, from John and Cove 
it's not the only comment like that that we're receiving. People are basically saying they have no right to complain and they shouldn't be uh, complaining that they should be grateful for what they what they have. Uh, for example, Dennis says, Patricia, there should be no asylum seekers there. They are an unregulated lot, are there Dennis's words, and they should be grateful to have a safe place to stay, knowing that they will live to see the morning, says uh, Dennis. And a number of other people are making that point as well, that surely... You know, they should be thankful that they're here. Why are they uh, complaining? But they are, I'm sure, I'm absolutely 100% sure that they're very grateful that they put their heads on a pillow and know that they will wake the next morning and there was no threat uh, to their life. But they're just just not happy with the services and the way they're being given their food and the way that they don't have access to a GP and the way they've got to walk everywhere and that there isn't public transport and that there isn't a school bus uh, for the children I suppose they're just they're trying to get better services uh, for themselves but I imagine they're absolutely grateful uh, to be uh, here Madge says those migrants paid to get here so they can't be poor migrants and that's others going along the line that are they are, how many of them are economic migrants and we don't know, we won't know until they go through the asylum process and it is decided and that we know the asylum process takes so long in this country and that's the problem uh, that we uh, have. Okay, and there's other similar calls uh, to that as well. 1850-333-103 and back to the farmers and the beef farmers. Texas says, Trish, I fully agree with the caller who suggested, well there was more than one caller who suggested people should continue picketing the marts the Minister and the IFA have to wake up and realise the farmers are not backing down. Bring the marts to a standstill and then something will have to be done. And hi Patricia, I was looking at Larry Goodman's net worth who owns a number of the meat factories in this country and now according, I'd have to get this checked, but according to this texture, it's around 2.45 billion. How has he built up that kind of wealth? God, isn't it staggering? There's money to be made in meat factories, that's for sure, if that's true. And if that is his net worth, that's a staggering, staggering uh, amount of money. 1850-333-103. And I've been asked to mention the Mellow Social Services, Meals on Wheels. They're having a flag day on Friday. Please be generous. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Dunmanway Further Education and Training Centre. They've got an open day today. Now it's on until four o'clock this afternoon and again tonight between seven and nine. We invite you to come along and see what courses they have on offer. Kinsale Men's Shed have announced their autumn programme. Monday nights, the Male Voice Choir will practice from 8 to 9. And then the shed is open from 4 to 9pm on Tuesdays. The Men's Shed Walking Club meet at 7 on Wednesdays. And then ukulele practice is 7 to 9 on Thursdays. And on Fridays, the shed is open from 10am to 5pm and from 11am to 1pm on Saturday. And a date for your diary is Tuesday, 17th of September. The Supper Club will be held in the shed at half past seven with tickets available from the members. That sounds like a busy men's shed in Kinsale. Good luck to all involved. Meals on Wheels, the Middle Parish Division. They deliver meals daily to the elderly and others they need in their community. They're based in Cork City. If you are someone you know could use of the, their service, you can call them at 021 427 3934. 
The Seven Heads artists are hosting a showcase of their work through different mediums and different subjects and it's at CIT Cork School of Music and that's from tomorrow, September 4th and it will run for one month. And Anam Cara, the organisation which offers information support to all bereaved parents uh, will meet tomorrow Wednesday at 20 past 7 in the Clayton Hotel in Cork City. It's open to all bereaved parents regardless of the age of your child or the circumstances of their death. You can visit their website to find out more. Anam Cara, A-N-A-M-C-A-R-A-A, anamcara.ie. And the Mallow Arch Club, they resume their demonstrations this Thursday, half past seven, Mercy Centre. Keen O'Sullivan will do a, portraits, a portrait in acrylics. Now, the operation to remove the cars parked in the Douglas Shopping Centre car park will begin tomorrow. The process is expected to take a week to complete. The section of the car park that was destroyed by fire over the weekend will be demolished and the shopping centre will remain closed during this time. The centre manager, Bartos Milza, has been telling our senior news supporter Fiona Corcoran the latest on the situation about how the cars will be removed. We need to demolish part of the centre, so we'll be starting that process hopefully next week. And uh, we, the good news is we're starting removal of the cars tomorrow morning. So we're just trying to establish which are the cars that are going to be coming out first so we can contact those people, those people directly now and tell them you know, it's going, to be, it's going to be tomorrow and which are the cars that are coming out. So that's the latest. How are the cars going to be removed? So there's a... Um, Basically, it's PJ Hegarty's who are running the whole process and the cars are going to be lifted from the car park down into recovery truck and moved into the, into the area in Douglas that we're just trying to confirm at the moment for the customers to collect them. You know. So do the cars have to be driven up onto the top floor then to get lifted out or what way does that work? No, no, no. The cars are just going to be just lifted. You know, there's a way. Of, there's a ways of. Uh, so we might have a. We might have a. You know, a smaller truck to move the cars within the car park, or we can just basically just. There's a little thing we can put under the wheels, and you can just move the car as well. Like it's just there are standard things that you know that you know the clamping companies do, or or removal companies do. Like it's 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 actually quite straightforward to move it within the car park. Like you know, and then you just lift them down. You know. So it's the professional recoveries companies that are going to be doing that, like professional, like, you know, tow away companies doing that. Just talk to me a little bit about the demolition process. Is the whole car park being demolished or is it just the part that was damaged, just the first or second floor or what way does it work? It's just a part of the car park that, that was damaged. So it's just a section. It's just a section of the car park. You know, across the entire the- thing doesn't have to be demolished? Ah, uh, no, 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 no. It's just a part of the car park across the tree levels, you know. But because it's, you know, one after another, like, there's, it's, it's, that's why the process is a bit complicated, you know, so... It's going to take a while to finish that. In terms of time frames, there isn't anyone who could who could kind of answer that question, you know. So I mean, we we don't have any time frame at the moment, you know. So after after the demolition, we might be able to you know to 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 give some time, put some put some time on things. But at the moment, no. We unfortunately that's the answer I can. That's the question I can answer. And while this demolition work is going on, the whole shopping centre has to remain closed. At the moment, yeah, the, the act, there's no access because it's just simply not safe, you know. So once it's completed, we'll, we are hoping that we can then allow for access in, you know, for, for our tenants to start, you know. It's obviously the worst news that traders here in the centre could have got yesterday. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I mean, you know, the news is the news, you know, and there's nothing we can do about it, you know. So that's, that's, that's where we are, you know. It's obviously heartbreaking, you know, and... You know, for you know, for the car that was in the car park for seven minutes, you know, to to have such a big impact, such a big time impact 
on you know on 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 the whole on all the businesses and everything else. I mean, it's 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 very upsetting. It is what it is. You know. I suppose the traders don't really know when it's going to reopen, so they can't really plan anything at the minute. Yeah, they don't. But the minute we know, and like again ourselves as as you know as the landlords or the management company like we don't know either but the minute we know like we'll communicate with them then you know Okay and you couldn't help but have huge huge sympathies uh, for all of the businesses at the Douglas uh, Shopping Centre car park and, and hopefully we'll all get sorted uh, sooner rather than uh, later Okay back to Ox Tongue can't get over the reaction that we've had on Ox Tongue and I'm blown away by the number of people who are still eating or have suddenly discovered ox tongue and have started eating it. Tom is in Bantry. Uh, good afternoon to you, Tom. Good afternoon, Patricia. You, now, do you eat ox tongue now or you remember oh, I, it? I do. You I do. do. I, eat it, I eat it all the time. Yeah, I get it off uh, the butcher and it's easy enough to get it now. But when I was growing up, it was hard to get it. Uh, it was a kind of like a priority. You have to go into the butcher and... Uh, you know, check it out and see what the one available and if it was for the priest or the canon or whatever, you wouldn't get it at all. You might have to wait a couple of weeks to get one. But uh, <laughs> then you'd, you'd take it home then and um, you'd boil it for a couple of hours and then take it out and let it cool and take the skin off it and then put it into a bowl and uh, put maybe a plate or something like that or the cover of a pot on top of it and then maybe a half of concrete block or a stone and uh, you come out in with a nice shape when it's gone cold and yeah, you had to, Yeah, I, now I understand because somebody said you had to press it. I couldn't work out what you meant. You had to yeah, press well, it that, down. That's how the, 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 the concrete block done the pressing. It pressed it into a nice shape then you took it out and you were able to slice it. You and know, and you if ate you it bought cold? that in the shop that way, or you ate it cold, yeah. if you bought that in the shop that way, I'm telling you, you'd pay through the nose for it, you know. And it's still available in the shops, you can buy it that way. like. And know? it's expensive, people are saying. It is, so, very, yeah. it's very expensive. It's, it's very good. We, we, we used to eat it all the time, and crew beans, and then the pig's head, then we'd, we'd boil the pig's head, take ah, all the God. bones out of it. Ah, God. And, a pig's and head? In, yeah, pig's head, yeah, half a pig's head usually. And um, you'd, you'd tell them to leave the eye in it, so I'd see you through the week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and the pig's head would be in a big pot boiling you away. Know, all, the big pot, yeah. all the bones take note of it and then take note in the same process again, you know, and um, press down, and then you'd have that, you'd cut that up until it's called brawn. And it just you know? tastes like pork, obviously, does it? Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it was bacon. Lovely. It was lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the the Spanish eat all this stuff. There's nothing left in the Spanish but the shop in the evening, like, you know. And we, but what's interesting is we seem to be returning to it. Yeah, yeah, there's no harm, like, you know. I mean, hard times as well, bring this kind of thing back again. But I mean, I'd be at a butcher there now and again, a good friend of mine, and the amount of stuff that's wasted, necks as well, necks of uh, lambs, we'd have them and we'd roast them in, in a pot on top of the fire, you know, on top of the stove. We'd roast them, we'd get them to break them and, uh, with, the, with the cleaver and then we'd roast them and then you'd, you'd pick away at them and they were, oh, they were absolutely beautiful. And lovely you know? and tender. See, the longer you cook it, the more tender it is. Oh, the more tender it is, yeah. Just on top of the fire and keep an eye on it that it didn't burn. You know? And what about and, uh, things like the liver and the kidneys? And oh, the, oh they, were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were treasured. <laughs> liver and kidneys and heart and lamb's heads. I, I knew a fellow who used to be getting lamb's heads for, for the for the dogs and God, the kids came up fighting it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and of course, like stews, the certainly the kidneys and the liver and the stuff like that, they were great in a stew. Oh, they were, they were. And the heart in, you'd stuff the heart in with onions and stuff like that, like, you know, and you'd roast it and it was lovely, you know. 
Oh, yeah. You could eat every bit. Every, there was nothing left in, in those days. Like, every bit of the animal was, was used, like, you know. But not today. Um, the right. oxtail, oxtail as well. You'd get the yeah. oxtail. For the soup? Make the, make the soup and put yeah. a, a couple of onions into it and that all. It was a beautiful article. But I thought you it know? was interesting to hear Helen, the farmer, saying they only get paid for the meat, what's left... That's they're, all. She's right there. I know yeah, they and they're, they're, they're not getting... The farmer doesn't get the money for it, but yet no, the no, factory... All, the factory's yeah. selling it on to someone because it's available. There, there, there are, there's plenty of buyers for all that stuff. And, you know, it's a shame there isn't somebody going around the country and teach people how to uh, use all the, the, this practical stuff, like, you know, um, besides buying expensive cuts of meat or buying stuff inside in a packet that you know where it came from mm. and you know what's inside in it, you know. Um, it's 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 a pity that that's not going. They should be taught in the schools, and another thing, they should be taught in the schools as well as gardening. You know, yeah, teach I, people I, to I, garden. I, I get vegetables from a woman, and she has only stones in her garden, and she puts down cardboard, and she puts compost on top of that, and she grows lovely vegetables. And did she? Did, did she learn that at school? Do you think? Did she learn no, that? No, she in came her from she came from Canada, and she'd be oh. stored in for six six months, and, and uh, she knows how to cure everything and all that. You know, need, it's, it's needs great. must. You mentioned yeah. crew beans. Yeah, I, crew beans. I, are they still yeah. as popular? Can you still get yeah. crew beans? Oh, they, are, they are. They are. They are. They'd be eating them in the pubs at night when they're uh, feed a porter, like you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. just one thing I wanted to say there on the asylum seekers is yeah. that um, my uncle went to America, and uh, when he went there, he was working for his uncle uh, on a farm, and he lived for ten years inside the hen house. You know, my God. Um, like uh, we all lived in rough conditions and everything here. I mean, we have to look after our own people. There was a man here in Bantry uh, a couple of weeks ago and he was down by the sea in a leaking tent, 74 years of age, the poor man. And there was nobody bothered to go near him only for this woman, this kind person, took him in and put him into her garage. And we set up a fund here for him, um, go fund me. And and it's a shame, like that we don't look after our own. Like, and who, get our, who is get our priorities right? Who is that elderly man? That man. He, don't he say his old, name, but who is he? A local man. He 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 was away for years and years. He was in America, and he had some bit of a breakdown. He was supposed to be very good on computers and all that. And he had a breakdown, and he was locked up for five years. And he came back here to where he was born. His father was buried here in Bentry. And has he family? Uh, a lovely, a lovely man. No, he's nobody we belonged to him, but this woman took him in and then she could only keep him in her garage and uh, there's a couple of more people then took him and uh, we, we raised a bit of money for him and we were trying to get him started now. But but is he okay? Has he been looked after now? Oh, he he has been looked after, but sure, he, the 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 man that he was there, like he he was he was as, as thin as a rush. You know, he's hardly nothing to eat or anything like that. Like my God, I, I went down, I went down to him a few times and had a chat with him and all that. Like, and, you know, throwing a bit of grub to him, and, you know. But uh, we 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 have to get our priorities right. All right, Tom. Listen, good uh, yeah. good talking no, to you. Thank you for that. Okay, Patricia, thanks, nice thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Good afternoon, to you. Mary says, Patricia, uh, let me tell you, we were very glad to have ox tongue when we were young. Laura Gelga, RC103. Back you'll to a wrap, August Ashore, two pack secure. Rugak two pack in Nua Arok Merk. Vi bwint more ega hismori, savaktas, mkerta savilta, dogwini gurma, iverka, August ka avaher, trevsha, a brazoon few, August eag umper two pack. Kuigakura, kumur, evaim. Er Tupac, Agus Hustig Shay a Kumakul in Nadug Octo Shots. He old Shay Kuig Album Kul, August A in a Vahig. 
Forse bas er en true law deag de van for nejagnokse ags e kuglinas fair. Le brewer guelga is misha abinivinicon. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan joins us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are welcome. Over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about anxiety. Mm. And before we get, we're going to continue on on that today. You just want to give a quick mention to a charity shop that's opening Thursday. Yes. Um, Coen Vera, as we all know, um, in Brewery with Sister uh, Concilio and Sister Agnes, they're opening a charity shop in High Street, uh, Newmarket. Now, down near the bottom of High Street, I think across from that well-known shop there, the Dallas House. Yeah. And um, it's opening on this Thursday, the 5th of September, and it will be opened on Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays from uh, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And I believe there are going to be some fantastic bargains there um, in all the different usual things you'd get in a in a charity shop, clothes, toys, all sorts of bric-a-brac, um, they'll all be there. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, in a, it's for a great cause um, because, as we all know, Coen Villa welcomes with open arms those who are being troubled uh, by addiction. And uh, the door is always open and it doesn't depend on ability to pay. Okay, so, well done. Well done. A, and actually, a cause. Uh, absolutely. And actually, well, we're on to charity shops because I had, uh, had occasion to ring them the other day. The Aurora Charity Shop that opened in Mallow, this is the one for the Cork Mental Health uh, Foundation and they support the Cork Mental Health Housing Association and it's a shop that sells furniture, clothes. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's the most amazing shop because they also are helping people who are recovering from mental health issues and they're helping them in that they furniture that's dropped into them they do up the furniture and yeah. then they sell it on and they're doing fantastic they're the, in the old Jim Butler furniture shop and they're doing great they're doing great I mean I'm a great advocate of plugging the charity shops and yeah. uh, so there, there's no, and, and I, I contacted them the other day because they have chairs to get rid of and I said rather than dump them they're good chairs and they were more than happy to take them from me so yeah. uh, while you're plugging Coon Mira in uh, Newmarket I'll plug the one uh, Aurora on the, uh, down on St. Joseph's Road okay. in Mallow well, well worth a visit yeah. and, and uh, people who are in recovery in brewery do reupholstering and yeah, all that kind of thing as well yeah. so there's I mean uh, the 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 Coen Villa cha- charity shop in um, High Street Newmarket could also be a conduit like for getting stuff um, or if one had um, uh, like you did there now chairs that need a bit of reupholstering and all that I'm sure that kind of thing would be more than welcome mm. well it's opening anyway on this Thursday Good the 5th at 
10am. Okay, good luck to it. Okay, we are continuing to discuss uh, anxiety and I just, I can't get over the number of people who have commented on the fact that we've been talking about anxiety for the last number of weeks. Either people opening up themselves and saying they suffer from anxiety or everyone seems to know somebody or has a family member who's suffering from anxiety, particularly young people. And of course, last week we mentioned that um, depression and stress causing anxiety was affecting a high number of third level students. So, Today, you want to talk about mindfulness as a way of helping people. Well, it would be one of the ways, because um, uh, I was actually talking to a person who was suffering from anxiety during the week, and uh, all that kind of explanatory stuff that we got into about the amygdala and all that, the person found it extremely helpful. It kind of took the mystery to a certain degree out of it. Like, what's going on? Well, now the person had a kind of a logical and um, uh, clear reason. This is what's going on. So, um, uh, nothing like talking to someone who um, has been suffering from it in recent times, and the person said, yeah, that most certainly helped. But yes, um, we were talking about the amygdala. I was talking about Dr. Harry Barry's workshop, and... um, uh, the gunslinger, the uh, the the act first and think later. Well, no, mindfulness can bring in the kind of thinking bit. That's the big thing now that we we would be focusing on today. Um, mindfulness really is being aware of what you're doing when you're doing it. Um, like if you're making a cup of tea, um, uh, you know, be making the cup of tea in a in a conscious, mindful way rather than what a lot of us do um, and still do, um, being on what we'll call autopilot. In other words, like the body is doing one thing, but the mind is somewhere else. Um, and and that, uh, that wouldn't be in any way helpful, like uh, in a situation where there's anxiety. Um, so there have been a lot of studies that found that mindfulness does help with anxiety. Um, uh when, uh, when, when so when you're using when you're using the one? when you're using the example of making the cup of tea, yeah. So you t- you almost in your mind you're talking yourself through. I'm putting the water in the kettle. I'm Absolutely. turning the kettle on. I'm taking the teapot out. I'm getting the tea bags. You literally are in the moment. Nothing else is in your mind except this task that you are doing, which is making tea. And it couldn't be described better. That is exactly it. You know the thing about if we're driving, we'll say, right, what will we pick? Mallet or Formoy? Yeah. Um, and you suddenly think, um, well, wait a minute now, um, have I have I gone through Castletown Road Haven't yet? we all done that at yeah. some stage? Yeah. yeah. And that's because we're on autopilot. We're not really, uh, our minds are not uh, on what we're actually doing. Um, no, it doesn't mean that we're all over the road and driving on the wrong side of the road or anything like that. I mean, uh, but we're uh, mentally we're on autopilot. Um, and that can happen so much in life. In fact, when we think about it now, and if you do think about it, we're on autopilot a lot of the time. Um, I remember before ever the word mindfulness came into it, um, I, had, um, I had some very serious issues back in the 80s. And um, I would be walking up the road and I would be saying, my shoes are brown, 
the ditch is green, the sky is grey, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out, I'm taking steps, my shoes are brown, the ditch is green, the road... Uh, and that's exactly what mindfulness is. And, and, and uh, yeah. 30 or 40 or whatever it is years later, suddenly the, the term appeared, mindful walking. And um, uh, I found that... Um, uh, you know, just instinctively that I was doing that um, maybe 40 years ago before it ever had a name. And um, and it did help because the alternative was all the worries, all the issues, all the... And, you know, what, I mean, all right, the bit of walking, and we'll talk about that in a minute, would definitely be doing um, quite a lot of good. But in a way, uh, the mental side of it, um, you know was miles away and was back into all that all worries and um uh, catastrophic thinking what'll happen will it be okay and uh, uh you know i i i mean that was me in the 1980s and um it was not a good place to be at all um so um when when we are into mindfulness the part the the we talked about the amygdala part of the brain, but the thinking part the 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 prefrontal cortex now I'm not pretending for one moment to be um uh, a a brain neuro person a neurosurgeon but you know yeah. I, I, as the says I can read and um the prefrontal cortex then that's the part of the brain that kind of thinks. Um, and can tell the amygdala, as it were, to calm down. There is no danger. There is no need to be sending all these signals of fight or flight to the body. We're okay. And that means, you see, that, that what facilitates that then is being in the present moment. Because in the other way, we're all future-focused on what terrible thing is going to happen. I'm going to faint, I'm having a heart attack, um, I'll make a fool of myself, um, what will people think, oh my God, and all that. Now we're back to, um, we, we'll say there's one is in, I don't know, we'll, 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 we'll pick a building. We'll, you're in County Hall in Cork on the, on the ground floor. Okay, so, um, the floor is tiles, um, the colour of that wall is a light green. Um, my shoes are black. Um, uh, the door is right over there. The lifts are over there on the left. And I'm kind of, I'm talking myself into the present moment. And therefore, th- that um, works against the catastrophic thinking of oh my God, what's going to happen to me? This is awful, this is terrible, it's going to be terrible. So, like, that's how it actually, um, you know, that's how it helps, um, uh, and that's why it helps. And I'd be very into the how and the why. And that's why, like, I would have looked up, for example, when I hear, like, that exercise is good for um, anxiety, stress, and all that, mm. I, I'd kind of, I, I'd, I'd go to Why? How, how does that work now? I mean, how can it work that that uh, that my stress and anxiety are reduced if I take a good brisk walk and then 
when you look it up, you find, yeah, there are very clear reasons for it. Um, and, and, and I like that because... Um, the science behind it. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that it makes sense, like, that isn't just some kind of a notion that somebody got. Um, uh, so that the mindful walking... And, and being mindful uh, at all times. And I think we can train ourselves because I don't think it's really natural. I mean, I'd say we have to work at it. I mean, you know, um, we're very often not where we are, if, 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 if I'm making sense. Um, the Americans, of course, came up with a very slick kind of a, a phrase for it. They were talking about uh, getting your backside and your head in the one place. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly what mindfulness is. Exactly. It's, it's just, exactly. it's that being yeah. in, I go back to my putting the kettle on, getting yeah. the teapot out, yeah. putting the tea bag in, getting yeah. the cup you out. See, uh, the a mindfulness m- person, um, if I'm sitting down, and I often say this to a person I'd be sitting with in the, in the office, I'd say, um, many a person I would say, what are you doing, Joe? The answer would be kind of, I'm doing nothing, but hold on. I'm doing a lot. I'm sitting. I'm breathing. Uh, I can feel the uh, the chair supporting me as I sit on it. I can feel the back of it supporting my back. I can see that the wall opposite me is a light green. I can see that there's a rug on the floor um, and my feet are resting on that. You know, so I'm doing an awful lot, even though there's by most people's... Um, uh, interpretation I would be I'm doing nothing so I, to be aware of what we're doing yeah we're, and like doing. M- Mike in Bantry says when I go out walking I do mindfulness by naming plants and trees in people's gardens and that could just simply yeah. not be better that's yeah, brilliant that's, that, 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 that's a new take on it now yeah and again you're focused on it, everything that's right in front of you there's a rose there's a gardenia there's a lilac bush. There, you know what I mean? And just on, on and on. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, ask Joe, anything good for butterflies in my tummy? I feel all tensed up in the morning. Well, you see, there's the thing. Um, uh, the amygdala gets to work and says, oh, this could be a bad day. This could be this. This could be that. Right. Mm. So then adrenaline is uh, and oxygen are sent to the parts of the body that are needed for um Let's get ready to, you know, run or fight. This is not good. And then the tummy uh, is neglected, um, uh, as it were. Now, this is very, very layman's talk, like, but um, basically that's what happens then when the belly gets uh, upset um, because uh, the messages are going to other parts of the body. Um, it's interesting, though, that the person mentions the part of the body, the tummy, mm-hmm. because um, diet is is very important. Um, like, I read a thing this morning. I was amazed at it, that there was a young fella in the UK, um, and it has been scientifically proven that he went blind from an absolutely awful diet. Apparently, he sort of lived on crisps or something. Crisps um, and white bread, and he ate no vegetables for something like there you four go. T- for yeah. 14 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You and must, it was, get, you and must get up off of Ernie Patricia. <laughs> I was, seldom anything gets mentioned. But I tell you, I, was, I could not believe when I was reading that this kid, he was only 15, 
Yeah. And they, they just, he was going blind. Yeah. And it was because of his diet. If yeah. that wasn't a wake up call to every young person out there who refuses to eat their vegetables. Yeah. Yeah, it. Um, I I was amazed. I mean, I I didn't realise that diet could do that. Um, uh, and uh, apparently, the old vitamin B complex and the vitamin C the, and the foods that have the amino acids in them um, are are extremely good for um, for improving mood. So. Um, what we put into our bellies uh, does affect what happens in our brains. Uh, you know, so um, it's, it's, um, it's so a would multifaceted would, thing. Would mindfulness help Mary in the morning, do you think, as she's getting out of bed and getting the kickstart in the day, distract from the butterflies in her tummy? I think absolutely, definitely. Maybe look out the window, um, note in a very, in, in a very aware way, um, what's what's seen? Um, uh, be very aware of the feet on the floor, getting dressed. Bring it all into the very present moment. And um, if you think about it, like that kind of pushes out the um, the doing everything on autopilot while the head is uh, all over the place, kind of uh, projecting bad things. Um, no, a little bit of stress and anxiety. I mean, that's going to happen. To, uh, you know, uh, the, the, we're not talking miracles. And anyway, um, sure, without a little bit of stress, we mightn't get up at all. We might decide to stay in bed, and um, uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be such a clever thing. But um, but definitely the mindfulness would help in a big way there. Um, um, uh, I, I know that it was getting kind of a bit on the... Um, on the on the science side, and um, I, I'd be only going there on what I can look up. I mean, I wouldn't pretend um, to 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 know an awful lot about the likes of. Um, uh, they talk a lot um, about exercise bringing on GABA neurons. Now, what I know about from that. Um, there are neurotransmitters and uh, that release and stimulate um, the release of dopamine and serotonin um, when we exercise. And these um, brain chemicals then, they, they play a, a very important part in regulating mood. So mm-hmm. that's the reason why the brisk 20-minute walk um, will relieve stress. Um, uh, because the endorphins that we often hear about are only one of the many uh, neurotransmitters that are released when we do exercise. So um, the other ones, the uh, the dopamine and the serotonin, um, also help to regulate mood. So that's why the exercise helps. Helps so many people. Yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, listener says, I find Joe brilliant. I think mindfulness is great. Uh, the problem is people do not have time to practice it. They live hectic lives. Um, oh, and then somebody asking about the, the housing charity is it's Aurora. Aurora, it's a charity shop in Mallow. Uh, somebody asking where the house is and uh, where the shop is. Okay, but somebody finding um, um, uh, mindfulness great. Hectic lives, you make time for mindfulness. I think that's what it's all about. You don't yeah. have to. You can be doing whatever you're doing in your normal daily life and you just include mindfulness. I'm way over on time. i got to leave it there. We'll talk next week, Joe. Absolutely. Okay, have a good one. Thank you for that. That's Joe Heffernan. He runs a counselling practice in Bo. 
Ohibwe. His number is 029-766-17. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Martina O'Donoghue. Make C103 part of your drive home with up-to-date traffic information and local news, your input in selecting our feel-good song of the day, plus our feel-good story and as many of Cork's greatest hits that we can fit into three hours. Join me, Martina O'Donoghue, every weekday from 4 to 7. C103.